Welcome to worship at Salem Alliance Church. Let's join Brian Candelo, pastor of Youth Ministries, as he begins. Several years ago, my father-in-law purchased a sailboat. And uh, he didn't really know anything about sailing. It, it just kind of the theme of his life. He would purchase things. Uh, he purchased a parachute. Uh, and he didn't have a plane. Uh, he purchased a hang glider. And he lived on the plains. I mean, there's just really no use for a lot of this stuff. But there was water around us. So he purchased a sailboat and decided that he would uh, take up sailing. And it wasn't a huge boat, just a little four person, just the mainsail and the jib. And so um, he took my wife and I out one day to a lake in western New York. We were going to go sailing. It was our first adventure. So we get the boat in the water. We're on the dock and we push off. And then all of a sudden, literally, it was like, whoo, nothing. No wind whatsoever. It was as if God was saying, I don't want you to hurt yourselves. Right? <laughs> that was it. So literally, we sat there. Um, for probably half an hour, you know, it's going to come, wind's coming, oh, I can just tell, oh, yeah, yeah, it's coming, yep, never came, so we paddled back to the dock, wasn't too far away, because we hadn't gotten that far, and uh, that was my experience sailing, now, a couple weeks later, we were at a lake house, and uh, one of my father-in-law's friends, Dan, was there, sailboat was at this dock, and uh, Dan turns to me, and he says, you want to go sailing? Sure. That'd be awesome. Let's go sailing. So we jump in the boat, and uh, just the two of us, and, and my father-in-law pushes us off, and we just catch this breeze immediately, this great, strong, whoom, and we take off, right? And so Dan and I are, are doing what I know how to do best, which is just lean. We're leaning out the side of this thing. We're tilted at 45 degrees, and we're just whoom, taking off. And so as we're rolling along out there, Dan looks at me, and he goes, what do we do now? And I'm like, What? <laughs> I thought you knew how to sail. And he said, I've never been sailing before. <laughs> Which would have been nice to know before we launched out. Now, I never asked, so certainly. So here we are, cruising along, just out into this lake with the wind at our backs, leaning so that sailing does not turn into swimming. And uh, no idea. We need help. <laughs> we need direction. We need an anchor <laughs> just so that we don't get too far gone. So eventually one of us pulls this rope that lets the sail just kind of go dead, and there we were, in the middle, drifting aimlessly, (laughs) two guys who knew nothing about sailing. So at first, people would pass us in their boats with motors, the cool, the cool kind that you can like direct and steer, Uh, and at first we were just like, you know, thumbs up, you know, like playing it cool, just, (laughs) we're good. It's so nice. Oh, catching some rays. Right? And then we get this feeling if we can figure this out. Come on, we're men. We don't need help. We can do this. And so we tried to turn the boat back to the way that we wanted to go, except the wind was blowing at us. And there's this sailing thing. It's called tacking. And you can actually sail into the wind. It's possible. Not for me, but for people who know how it's possible. And so, you know, we... I don't understand. I would explain tacking to you. I don't know how it works. You're supposed to then back. And, and there we were, facing into the wind, uh, needing help, facing something bigger than us. <laughs> Do you ever find yourself in a situation like that where you're just kind of out there drifting aimlessly and you need a little bit of help, you need a little bit of assistance? 
We're going to talk about that this morning. We're continuing in our series, Sacred Places. And we're talking about the places that we meet God and the places that God shows up. And there's a lot of different places in our lives. And a couple of weeks ago, Josh talked about crossing the Jordan and that place of breakthrough. Last week, Steve talked to us about Jacob and his dream at Bethel and that, that place of God's promise. And this week, we're going to talk about a place that we all have in common. We've had so many different locations and so many different sacred places. But this week, we talk about something we have in common, at least for this morning. We have it in common. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 8. We're going to start there and we're going to talk about Solomon's temple. If you just want to grab a pew Bible, it's on page 335. And before we begin with this story, I just want to give you a little bit of history. Because earlier on it says, it had been 480 years since Israel had come out of Egypt. So 480 years ago, Israel was rescued from the hands of the Egyptians and Moses led them out. And as, as Moses was leading them out, God appeared to Moses one time and he said, I want you to build me a sanctuary. I want you to build me a temple so that I have a place to dwell among the people. And so he gave Moses these instructions and uh, Moses followed them and he started to build. And then at the end of Exodus, we see that Moses had finished this tent that he was building. And he built a tent and then it says that the glory of the Lord filled the tent. And uh, it was a tent because they were on the move, right? It was a tent because they were journeying through the wilderness. And so when the glory of the Lord was on the sanctuary, on the temple, they stayed. And when it, it lifted and it moved, they packed up the tent packed up everything in the tent, and they followed the cloud and moved along with it. And so then we fast forward in the story a little bit. We have King David, and King David is sitting there one day, and he says this, how come I get to live in a palace, but the ark lives in a tent? You see, God had commanded Moses to build an ark, not a boat, with animals, but an Ark of the Covenant. And now I have a picture of, of what it might have looked like, um, especially if you saw Indiana Jones. Anyone? That's the one from Indiana Jones, so just so you know. Um, he said, build this and this will be a sign of my presence. It will be a sign of my promise. It will be a sign of the covenant between us. And so I will meet you here at this Ark. And so David says, wait, you know, God, you have this ark in this tent, and I live in this palace, and so God, I want to build you a house, which is a pretty bold prayer, right? God, I want to build a house for you. And so God says, David, you're not the one to do it, but your son will be. Your son will build it. And so we have Solomon, in the fourth year of his reign, it says, he began to build the temple, this amazing structure. And, and just thousands and thousands, as you read the story, it talks about 30,000 men, 10,000 at a time, went to get cedars from Lebanon. And he had 80,000 stone cutters up in the hills cutting stones for the temple. And 70,000 stone carriers, uh, which is, doesn't seem like the most glamorous of jobs. Um, but all of it was cut off of sight. It says that you didn't hear the sound of the hammer on the chisel at the side of the temple. And then they made all of these amazing uh, lampstands and bowls and, and basins and all of the stuff that was supposed to go into the temple. And then 
Solomon overlaid everything on the inside with gold. And it took seven years. So you just got to understand that this was a huge undertaking. It took seven years to complete. And it was an amazing structure. Now we don't obviously have any real pictures of it. There's some uh, what, hey, it might have looked like this. There's some pictures that you can look at. Uh, that's some, some kind of computer rendered drawing. And, and the, the temple was 60 cubits by, by 20 cubits by 30 cubits, right? Uh, I'll be your cubit converter for you this morning. It was like 90 feet long by 30 feet wide by about 45 feet high at, at the height of it. And it was this amazing building. But I want to say this. It, was, it wasn't about the building, obviously. That there was more to it than just the building. Solomon says this, The temple I am going to build will be great, because our God is greater than all other gods. But who is able to build a temple for him? Since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him. Who, who am I to build a temple for God? You know, we're building a building, and, and because God is so great, we're going to make this temple as great as possible. But because God is so great, the temple will never be great enough. It will never be great enough. So the building is great, but it's not all about the building. It's about something deeper than that. And so I want to read, starting in uh, verse 1 here. It says, King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelite families to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. All the men of Israel came together to King Solomon at the time of the festival in the month of Ethanim, the seventh month. So they, they come together at this time of the festival. And the festival that they are celebrating is the festival of booths or the festival where they would remember the time when their ancestors wandered through the desert and lived in tents. And so what they would do is they would, they would set up a, just a little structure uh, like a tent, something temporary, and they would live in that, which is perfect because the ark lived in a tent during that time. And, and now it's finding a home, and they're celebrating that as, as well as with the people, all right? So it says, all the elders of Israel had arrived. The priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord, and the tent of meeting, and all of the sacred furnishings in it. The priests and the Levites carried them up, and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. And so you have this huge procession and the temple is completed and they're all marching together and they have the ark of the Lord, the sign of God's presence and they're sacrificing. David earlier in scripture had, had done this every six steps that the ark moved, they had sacrificed a bull and a calf. And so I don't know how long they had to carry the ark at this point, but I just feel like they were like, take bigger steps, we're running out of cows. You know, so, I mean, you can just imagine that this was like, this was a big deal and uh, probably a little bit messy, but this is uh, huge. And the priest then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place. And it was cause for celebration and, and fire fell. As a matter of fact, how, how many kids do we have in here? Kids, raise your hands real high. All right, here's, I, I need your help on this one. All right, because it says that this was just loud fanfare. So I want you to make the sound of a trumpet, kids. This is your time to be noisy right now. I want you to, however, let me hear you. All right, pretty good, pretty good. I keep making trumpet sounds that sound like roosters. So 
you'll have to work on that with me. However you want to make the trumpet sound. And so when I read the, the scripture and it talks about the trumpets, I want to hear you, okay? All right, it says that, that the, the musicians were there and, and they stood by the altar and they were, they were dressed well and they were playing cymbals and harps and, and accompanied by the sound of trumpets. <laughs> all right, all right. I got to be honest, that was a little underwhelming. Let's, uh, there's one more spot that you can redeem yourselves. Ready? And it said, they joined in unison with one voice and they gave pra- praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by the trumpets. Oh, it's so much better. Well done. And they raised their voices in praise to the Lord and they sang, He is good. Kids, let me hear you say that. He is good. His love endures forever. Thank you. He is good. His love endures forever is what they said. And then we're going to keep reading because this is what sets the temple apart coming up. That they had all of that processional and and they brought the ark into the temple. And there was fire from heaven. And then it says this, when the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. And I, I just love that, that passage where the presence of God fills the temple. And the priests, what could they do? Nothing. They, they, they had to stop doing and they had to just start being there. Have you ever had an experience like that where you've just felt the presence of God so much? I'm a doer. I like to be doing things. I like to be moving. But there have been times in my life where I've just felt the presence of God and I've just had to, oh, I have to stop. And they just had to stop because the presence of God in that place was overwhelming. You see, God had promised to establish the nation of Israel. But the fulfillment of this promise was him coming to dwell among them. The fulfillment of the promise was God His presence with his people. You see, without the presence of God, the temple would have been an empty blessing. If there's no presence of God in the temple, it's just a building. Think about that for a second. Think about this place that we have here. What if there was no presence of God in this place? You know, we'd come together and and it'd be cool to see everybody and then we'd sing some songs, and and they wouldn't really have too much meaning. It'd be like singing campfire songs, and it'd be kind of fun. And then you'd hear some guy talk up front, and it would be good or not so good, depending. And uh, then you'd be like, that was great, kind of like attending some kind of lecture in college or something, and then you'd leave, and that'd be it, right? Without the presence of God, it's just an empty place. It's just an empty blessing. But I look around here and I think this is, this is a sacred place here because of the presence of God. And I, I've sat at the cross with students who've nailed a ribbon to the cross. Who have said, God, I want to give my life to you. And, and people come and they pray up front. They pray at the altar and they bow before God and they just offer themselves to him. And over here, buried somewhere on the floor here is the baptismal. Where every so often, people get to make that declaration, God, I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. And I want everybody to know it. 
So much of life's big stuff happens here, right? Because this is a sacred place. Weddings and funerals and and baby dedications happen here because it's a sacred place. It's a place of the presence of God. Now, I know people have trouble with church sometimes. And and I hear people say things about church and and why they don't want to come to church. And I understand that. You know, some people say, well, listen, the worship style just isn't for me. Right? It's just not my style. I mean, they wouldn't say that here. Other places. A long time ago, I heard a quote. uh, And it was this. When you leave a worship service, you don't ask, how was it? You ask, how did I do? And that's kind of shaped the way that I worship. It's not like, oh, how was it? Oh, it's so, oh, the guitar was so amazing or it wasn't, um, whatever, I don't know. It's not, no, it's how did I do? It's what did I give? I talked with the family this past week that told me that the church is full of hypocrites. And I said, yes, it is. Right? It is the church is full of broken and flawed people, and we just need to understand that. All of us have baggage, right? And so all of us carry into this place our baggage. And then we sit down and we look around and we go, wow, there's a lot of baggage in this place. <laughs> wow, look at all your baggage. <laughs> Stuff in mine under the pew, right? It, it's just the way it is. If, if there was a church for perfect people, it would be a really lonely place. It'd be a really annoying place, too. Right? That, that we all come to Jesus by grace. And that's how we're saved. And, and our progression is a slow process. And so, of course, there's going to be baggage. And of course, but, but this is a beautiful body of, of wonderfully flawed, broken, growing people. And, and that's, just, that's just part of it. I've heard people say, well, what difference does it make? You know, you go, what, but, but what difference does it make? You know, you don't remember stuff afterwards. You know, I don't remember uh, every meal that I've eaten in the past 10 years. But I do know that I haven't gone hungry, right? I don't, I don't remember every song that... We sing. I don't remember every sermon. But I do know that I haven't gone hungry. I talked to a a student this past week, and the student said, I don't need the church to worship. And I said, you don't. All right? You don't. But in my experience, somebody who says that ceases to worship at all. Because this place calls us to that and I know that we have busy schedules and we have stuff going on I completely understand that I I, it happens in my own life and I know that a lot of people look at me and they say well you have to go to church it's your job (laughs) you're a professional Christian that's what you do right but I but I understand that I understand what that is but I need to come into the presence of God Let's pretend that that we're all going to the beach today. It's hot outside. Let's pretend that we've all got our floaties and our sunscreen that some of us desperately need, and we're going to the beach. But since we're pretending, 
Let's pretend that we're going to a warm beach. <laughs> which rules out the Oregon coast. I'm sorry. We're going to go to a beach that we can play in the water, all right? So, so after service, we're all going to jump in the church bus, and we may or may not make it, but uh, we're going. And so what happens when you get to, to this warm beach that we're pretending about? Y- you do... You, you run across the sand and you're excited and then the sand's really hot and you do that little dance and then you throw all your stuff down and what's for, you just run and just jump right in the water, right? And it's fun. And you play in the water. And I can remember, uh, we used to go down to the Gulf of Mexico before the oil and uh, swim. And I was swimming one time with a buddy of mine and we're out there and, and we look back and the, and the sun's there and you can, this wave crest and on the top of this wave there's these stingrays just and it was so awesome. Well, so we decided we'd chase them. <laughs> so we swam. And then as we're swimming towards these things, we're like, what if we catch them? Swim away. <laughs> so we swim. And then there's always something, because the golf isn't the clearest, something that touches you. And so we're swimming along and something touches your leg. And what's the first thing you do? Oh! And, and so you swim away from that. And what happens after a while of playing in the water, what happens is, is that eventually you look back towards the beach and you don't recognize anything. Right? Because you started over there, but when you got in the water, slowly, it's unrecognizable. You're just playing. You're just doing your thing, right? But the current is pushing you, pushing you, pushing you. And you're drifting further and further away from where you started. And you know what? That happens in my life. And, and all of us have the potential to drift, right? That we start here and then just life kind of takes its thing. And we're, and we're doing our family and we're doing our job and we're, we're staying away. And it just starts to drift. It's just subtle. And then at a certain point, we kind of look up and we're like, wait, where are we? What are we doing? And so we need that anchor. And we need to come in contact with the presence of God. And I, and I need to have an experience where I'm like, it's not about me. It's about God and what he's doing. You see, what the temple did is the temple kind of reunited the ark and the altar. It kind of brought the two back into that one common place. You see, if you read the first part, remember we talked about that they were carrying the ark to the temple. It wasn't exactly in the temple. It was in Jerusalem somewhere, but it wasn't in the temple yet. And then if you read further back into the story, you find that Solomon is going and he's offering sacrifice to God on the altar at a place called Gibeon, which is six miles away from Jerusalem. And so what the temple does is it brings them back together. It brings back the ark, which is the sign of God's presence and his promise and and him dwelling among his people. And it puts that in the the place of the altar, which is, is where we make offerings and sacrifices. It's where we bring our best to God. And so we need this reunion of the ark and the altar. The place where we come and experience the presence of God. And then we respond to that presence of God. By offering ourselves to him. Solomon blessed the people. Verse 56 he says in in chapter 8 here of 1 Kings. He says, praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. That he's given rest to his people. 
And rest here is the fulfillment of the promise that was given way back in Deuteronomy where he said, I will give my people rest because I will dwell among them. It's not rest like uh, a parent who has toddlers, right? It's not like the, oh, I'm just tired rest. It's, it's a rest of like peace and, and security. And, and the sign of that rest is the presence of God. And so he's saying this, he's saying praise be to God that he's given us rest by dwelling among us. You see, peace and prosperity and possessions don't mean anything without the presence of God. All of these things are just empty blessings without the presence of God. And so he's saying God has given us rest. He has given us his presence. He says not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. Not one word has failed. And I'm sure on this day, as they were celebrating the temple, it was great and easy to stand up there and say, listen, God has promised it, and we felt his presence today, and his promises are true. But you know, I told you earlier that it had been 400 plus years since they left Egypt. And do you think every one of those days they could have walked along and said, yep, God, just how, just how we planned it. It looks just like I thought it would look, God, out here in the wilderness, starving. Just like you promised. In my office this week, I was looking through my books and I found this book here. It's God's Promises for Your Every Need. And uh, I flipped it open and it was a graduation gift from my pastor at the time. Pastor Jack gave this to me and, and he wrote, Congratulations on your graduation. And then he wrote Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Right? And so I, I have this here when I graduated high school. And I have this promise of God. And yet, you know what? I don't know what that promise looks like. Really. I don't know fully what that promise looks like. Because there's promises from God. But we don't always have them figured out. What does it look like for the hope in the future? If I would have planned it back then when I was graduating, I would have a lot more stuff right now, right? That would have been my future. When I was planning it, the job would have been, you know, and money would have been rolling in. I would have had a sailing coach. I would have had all those kind of things going on, right? But it doesn't look like that from, from there to here. But as I look back, I'm like, yeah, God, you're in charge. You're in control, You have taken care of me from, from then until now, and so I can see your hand looking back. And so as you look at that, not one word has failed. And, and so you need to know that this is the promise that he's making. And these are the promises that he's made to us, and this promise of his presence, and this promise to dwell among us and to draw us after him. Listen to this. He says, he prays this, may the Lord our God be with us. As he was with our fathers. May he never leave us nor forsake us. We have this promise in scripture. Where God says I will never leave you. Nor forsake you. Jesus says I will be with you always. To the very end of the age. We have this promise. This promise of presence. May he turn our hearts to him. To walk in all his ways. And to keep the commands and decrees and regulations that he gave us. May he turn our hearts to him. We have this promise where God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love, he says. And he says, I've drawn your hearts with loving kindness. I've drawn you towards me. We have these promises and we know that God does 
what he promises. He is good. His love endures forever. Verse 59, And may these words of mine which I have prayed before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need. That according to each day's need, that that he would just give us this day our daily bread. That one step at a time, one foot in front of the other, God, I trust you. Your promises are true. That God has promised us his presence. And his promises are true. And then here's our response. Here's here's what I see as the altar. That, That I see as the ark the presence of God, the promises of God. And the altar is this, but your hearts, verse 61, your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord. To live by his decrees, to obey his commands, as at this time. See, this time was was easy to do that, right? But he's saying, my response to this presence of God is, God, I want to live the way that you want me to live. God, I want to follow the way that you've laid out for me. God, I believe that you have the best possible way for me to live, and I want to live that way. And so as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, yeah, I need a place that has this reunion, that has this this ark and this altar where I come and encounter the presence of God and respond to it. And as I'm thinking about how this breaks down in my life, I'm thinking, yeah, there have been times. There have been countless times that, that God has drawn me that way. When I lived in Atlanta, I was uh, convinced that I was going back to Pittsburgh to minister. My family all lived in Pittsburgh. I grew up in Pittsburgh, and it just felt like a natural. So I uh, told God that that's what I was going to do, and uh, you know how that works. And, uh, but I, so I began pushing it, you know. I began making the calls. I began trying to open the doors, and I began having interviews and uh, got the job offer, and then there was a point where I was sitting in the sanctuary confronted by the presence of God, and I had to respond. And so I, I came forward, and I, and I knelt, and I prayed, um, God, I'm doing this. This is what I want to do, God, um, but not, not my will, but yours. God, I want to do what you want me to do. And so I came to the altar, and I just kind of sacrificed this what I thought I was supposed to be doing with my life or what I really wanted to do. And you know what? As I prayed there, um, God said no. He said, no, that's, that's not the plan that I have for you. And, and it didn't work out. And, and then, of course, the funny thing, funny thing is that uh, all my family moved to Oregon and Northern California. Uh, here I am, right? But I, but I came forward and... and and sacrifice that in response to the presence of God. But I, but I think, you know, those are certain stories that I could pull out and choose. But, but really, for me, it's, it's like a week-to-week thing where I come into this place with my own agenda and with stuff that's been happening to me all week and with my own concerns. And then I sit in this place and I'm confronted by the presence of God. And I have to respond to that. And I have to make this sacrifice. God, it's not about me. I don't know how many times I have to tell myself that. I, I, I need more than an every weekend. I need like a daily. God, it's not about me. I'm in your presence. It's about you. And I want to sacrifice myself to you. And I want to give you my best. 
And so I want to ask you this morning, what sacrifices are you making in response to the presence of God? What sacrifices are you making when confronted with the presence of God? Because this is a great story and Solomon was a great and wise man. But if you flip just a few chapters forward, chapter 11, verse 4, it says, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. Here we have the wisest man ever to walk the face of the earth. And it says that what happened to him? just drifted and he worshipped elsewhere not, not at another church he started worshipping other gods and he lost sight of the presence of God and so then he no longer responded to that presence of God and his heart wasn't as fully committed as it should have been you have been listening to Brian Candelo, pastor of youth ministries at Salem Alliance Church If you've enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to be our guest at our worship service on our main campus at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem. Worship services are Saturday at 5 and 6.30 p.m. and again on Sunday at 8, 9.30 and 11 a.m. If you'd like to receive a free Bible and more information on how to become a Christ follower, feel free to call our office at 503-581-2129. We'd love to know how we can serve you. And once again, that's Salem Alliance Church at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem.